I really want to thank Miro, one of the most useful tools. They sponsor this podcast. They are my go-to resource when it comes to working remotely and collaborating. They're also great for an office, but let me paint a picture for you. Everyone here is working from home in some capacity. Either we have peers that work from home, maybe we're part in the office, part out. Collaboration can be chaotic. Miro is the ultimate digital whiteboard and visual collaboration platform. You could be a remote team, you could be a creative agency, you could be a solopreneur. Miro allows you to brainstorm, plan, and execute seamlessly. Picture this, you're in a virtual meeting mapping out a huge project with Miro. You can drag and drop sticky notes, sketch wireframes, organize ideas all in real time. You collaborate with your team no matter where they are. This is a game changer. If you are ready to transform your workflow, you have to try Miro today. To show you how powerful it is, I created my own Miro board that you can check out at Miro.com slash success pod. It has a ton of resources for entrepreneurs, but it will also show you all the functionality of Miro. So go to Miro.com or go to Miro.com slash success pod for a ton of resources. Try Miro today. It's going to radically change how you collaborate with your team. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, as well as the HubSpot Podcast Network. Now, the HubSpot Podcast Network has other incredible podcasts like the Salesman Podcast, hosted by Will Barron. Now, if you work in sales or you want to learn how to sell or peek at the latest in sales news, check out the Salesman Podcast, where host Will Barron helps sales professionals learn how to find buyers and win big business in effective and ethical ways. Now, if some of these topics resonate with you, you're going to love the Salesman Podcast. The psychology of the perfect cold call, uh, successful cold email trends for 2022, the four-step process to influencing buying decisions, or the digital sales room, the future of B2B sales. If these topics hit home, you're gonna love the Salesman Podcast. Listen to the Salesman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Today, my guest is Yosef Martin. He is the founder of BoxyCharm, an online subscription beauty service that was launched in 2013. And with his unique vision as CEO, BoxyCharm quickly became a major disruptor in the online subscription beauty box industry as the first brand to deliver full-size products to members. The company ships millions of boxes monthly. Yosef had an incredible exit selling BoxyCharm to his competitor, Ipsy, for $520 million. BoxyCharm is not the only success that Yosef has had. He's had previous uh, successful businesses and exits. So he's been in multiple industries, multiple categories. So we spoke about all things entrepreneurship. So finding product market fit, how to market yourself, how to make your product go viral, how to figure out supply chain logistics, all some of the horror stories that he had to deal with. Uh, we spoke about him working with some of the largest influencers in the world. He worked with the Kardashians. Uh, we spoke about why most marketers and marketing sucks and how to do better. And then we also spoke about his exit and how he sold his company for $520 million. So, you know, one day at a time, that's uh, my, my story is I'm, I am an entrepreneur and that's my second business. Uh, the, the history for me was that I started around 2004. Uh, I launched a company called Merchandise Liquidators. Merchandise with a Z. 
uh, Zs because I had a typo. And I noticed that later, but I'm like, ah, fuck it, you know, let's just go with that. <laughs> and I was, I was just trying to pay my out-of-state tuition studying in Florida. And um, anyway, I learned search engine optimization early on. And then I learned how to run a business. And it was a liquidation company. It was a business-to-business. I had to, had to sell truckloads of excess inventory and customer returns from department stores. But that was a foundation for me, like an entrepreneur, how to, how to create something out of nothing. Really, be, I had a couple hundred bucks to start a business. Uh, into it, around 2012, I, I heard about the monthly beauty subscription box concept. And I figured there is a gap in the market. Uh, I started getting requests from subscription boxes Makeup companies, that, it's not makeup companies, subscription box is basically a concept where uh, a subscriber pays $20 or $10, depends on what they're giving them, a month, and you get five items, either sample size or full size items, that sells in Sephora, Ulta, makeup, skincare products, and so on. And usually, the way it goes is that the brand gift their products to the subscription box. So around 2012, we get some requests from subscription boxes for products. Imagine I'm a liquidator. Mm -hmm. I sell products for pennies on a dollar, all the leftover junk from stores. So when they came over, I I heard about the concept and I said, why aren't they buying from us? And they said, well, sometimes brands don't want to give them free shit. So they come to us and they got to pay pennies on the dollar. So in my mind, I figured it's not a sustainable concept to grow the business if eventually someone is going to come and find the economics to pay the brands. So I decided to launch my own subscription, and we called it BoxyCharm. And um, it took off. I mean, we had a bunch of iterations to what I thought is going to work, and you zigzag at first a lot in the beginning, but eventually the company was grossing close to $500 million in sales, seven years in, into it. And um, Yeah, but you don't just, like, that's a lot of iterations to gross $500 million in sales. Consistent iterations. Because no one else has done this like exactly to what I do. There was another company that was grossing similar numbers a little bit. At first, they were much bigger than us, but they're doing sample size. And um, I had to figure out the whole business. I, I didn't know anything about the beauty industry per se, and, uh, but I was from Hialeah. I mean, our warehouse was in Hialeah. And um, we had to learn how's, as we go, but the constant was surprise the people with amazing products. Figure out, always chase the perfect product every month and keep surprising them. And the second one is make sure your marketing is fucking amazing. Make sure that people like your Instagram and they want to come in, not because you're selling them nothing. It's because they like your fucking Instagram. Make sure that the product is going to be so good that they're going to go and refer their friends. As long as you're profitable, don't worry about how profitable you are. Think about growing and making sure that the product is amazing, the experience. Because that was the the constant that we had, it was easier for us to grow, and the iterations were more around what is trending right now? How can I get my hands on it? How can I get those big brands to want to work with me and explain to them my concept and, and so on? But eventually, once we, a couple of years into it, you know, we became really popular, and brands understood social media, and they got requests from their social media teams, the big makeup brands, like, hey, we get bought with BoxyCharm. And once you had the first one and the second one that were big, reputable makeup brands, all the other ones felt like they have to do the same and they start com- uh, following through. And, and that's how your company keeps growing. And b- behind all that, you get great people next to you making sure that they help you sustain the growth of the business. Um, when you started off, you didn't have any experience in beauty. And I want you to just comment on what a lot of people think is find a way to monetize your passion or find a way to monetize the things that you know best. 
And even we were talking before, like when you work in an industry or a vertical for so long, it's really easy to start a business in that industry because you know it so well. You came in with nothing. So when you're launching something and you're creating, like the category was somewhat defined, but not really, and you're creating a new product and a new category, how do you make, how do you know that you're moving in the right direction? Is it, because it's not something, you're not intrinsically motivated because of a passion for makeup and beauty. So you have to have external motivators and validators that the business is moving in the right direction, or you would give up. For sure you'd give up because you'd be like, I, I don't get this, it's not working. And you probably have a lot of self-doubt too, because you're like, I'm probably not getting it because I don't know beauty and I'm missing the mark on something. You, you launch yeah. it. How did you, how did you keep it moving? You know, um, I think there is a plus and minus in both, right? The fact that I didn't understand the beauty industry, uh, I see it more of a bigger plus than a minus because if, if I was a consumer, I would have been in other boxes. There were many boxes. I mean, 2014 was the year of the boxes and most of our competitors, at least their boxes were curated by women. Um, and I had to be the one pushing it almost all the way to the end. Eventually I found the right people to, to take over. Um, but it was tough. The, the, the part where, where it's, tough, it's, it's easy to understand that an outsider is going to be the trailblazer. I was the outsider. And I just did not think like the consumer that apply makeup. I thought as a person that want to understand what the consumer want. And you find out that the consumer have different opinions on different days. And technically, when I would do it, I, I would just do focus groups and I would have my, my team there. At first, we had nothing but women working for me. Um, and I would just have them all asking, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think? And you f you'll figure it out fairly quickly what works, what doesn't work. But one thing I did understand uh, is that looking at the item right now, you understand very quickly what's trending. Okay, so you can say, okay, this category is trending. Anything it's going to, let's just say, holographic highlighter in 2017, that's the thing, or 2016, that's the thing. Everybody wanted that, right? Get it as soon as you can. It's a, it's a fad. It's going to go away. Buy it now. Don't buy it tomorrow because you're going to get stuck with this. So... You understand the fight, you've seen already enough, and you know what's trending, right? But you also understand that it's only a particular consumer that's going to want to use it. But what you don't understand at first is that there's a difference between receiving the product and there's a difference between viewing the product on Instagram before people receive the product. And if you're, an, if you're a person who uses that, you would probably think mostly about, I like it, I don't like it. That is the end part of the of the logistic process. They received it and now they're going to give their opinion. You need to get them excited when they see the image on social media. That part is completely different than trying it. So at first I was asking uh, the team to try the product and tell me what they think. And the results were not always great because they would love the product, but when you put it on social media, the product was too small and people didn't apply perceived value when they saw something small on social media. When they received it, the comments were positive, but by then you already get trashed for selling them small items. So then you said, okay, and that's just one example for many things. Like, okay, we need to go and just have them look at the item and say, what would you think if you see this on social media? Okay, now get to try it. So I had to break it down into two parts. And it was all trial and error based on, I mean, it was because of blood that was shed over mistakes that we made, right? We would buy an item that, that was very, very small, but very expensive because there was pearls from Europe to play. And people hated that. But when they got it, they liked it, but it was too late. We get smeared. So we had to learn through those, uh, through those mistakes. And, uh, and that, was, that was the thing. If you keep chasing, uh, the kind of like improving and exciting the consumer with a better product, then you're going to win.
And help me understand something. So for the business model, um, when you're shipping out these boxes, is is the is the opportunity for the consumer because they get, rather is the excitement for the consumer because they see it on social and they like getting something new and it's like exciting or is there actually like a a dollar value uh-huh. so is there a margin that you're taking advantage of when you put it in let the me, box? let me break it down a bit more about the concept right and how do you get more we had more than a million members by the time we exit uh, paying members. The the reason you grow so much is one, it's a discovery concept. There are two types of subscriptions, physical subscriptions. One is replenishment. The other one is discovery. So replenishment is, I don't know, your vitamin supplements you need. It's my, my company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that, that's yeah. something that you know you're going to get and you're getting it and that's it. You're not going to take a, a screenshot. Look, I just got my razors. Again, you're not going to do it, right? You have to really create awareness by yourself every time. Discovery, it's actually different because people don't know what to receive. And if they're happy, they're going to take a picture and they're going to go and post this and they're going to bring awareness for you for free. That happens in my case. That was a discovery. What we did was we went on full size and we made sure that the price ratio was about four, four and a half to five times, sometimes six times. So you pay $25, but the retail value is about $150. So now there is that there's the price, there is uh, the, the surprise element, and there is a matching with your uh, personalization that, that works every time. Um, and and th- those are the reasons. It was a couple reasons why they get excited. It's kind of like a surprise every month for themselves. Mm-hmm. Awesome deal that they got. Now two reasons for them to, to brag and, subscri- and bring more subscribers and build your awareness. It's kind of like the rich get richer. You have 10,000 subscribers, less pictures on Instagram. You have a million, get more. And um, and that was that was the reason we were able to scale consistently, because we focused on the fact that they needed to get excited when they opened the box. And you yeah, and you architected you architected a little bit of that FOMO. So because you found yeah. bigger products that were Instagrammable, and I also love we're going to talk about like your influencer marketing strategy and your yeah. growth strategy. But you architected a little bit of that FOMO so that when people saw it on Instagram, then they're like, now I want to I want to see what's coming and what's new. And then you architected a little bit of virality and. I know that you were doing lives at some point, but you were like you were hyper focused on like influencer marketing on social. Um, did you run? I can't remember if you ran paid as well. Did you run a lot of paid? At the end, no? before we sold, we start. We I think we, we but not for the most, not for a lot of most it. of those years. No, only at the end when we went through a process about to sell the business, it was time to start um, learning how to do performance paid marketing on Facebook. Uh, we we got to almost a hundred a million plus in sales close to 200 without really putting any money in marketing that's insane uh, i mean we did money marketing but the influencers not paid uh, and um and it was working because again your biggest piece of marketing is your product and if you can create millions of views many millions of views through influencers and through your members that's all all it takes if you didn't sell your product it's because your product didn't sell itself then you get to work on everything else. So while we put when we put the product, so our growth was uh, was as follows: it was more like twenty million a year, fifty million a year, a hundred a million, a hundred plus, two hundred plus, four hundred plus. That's how we, and then that's when we, we exit the company, and it was consistently growing because it was, it was laser focused on the fact that we want to make sure that the, the experience is going to be great and the, the product would sell itself, and aside of influencer marketing that today everybody knows and do, what we what I what we actually were able to build was a, a tight community, but not a community with, in the terms of just saying, "Oh, we have a community." No, 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 no. How, what does it really mean, a community? 
Well, a community is a group of people with the same interest in the same space, activating together. When you take that and you said, okay, what is my space? Where is my space? We found that there, you can have your space, say, on your, on your IG page or your Facebook page. But we, find, uh, we found a much better space. We found a space that's actually their space that they gathered together already just to talk about us. That was in the Facebook groups. And they created. They created that themselves. Now, they, uh, when I found out in 2017 that there are Facebook groups, it's just something on Facebook. At, at the time, they call it forums. It was, it was nice because I just wanted to hear the sentiment, so I joined them. And they said, look, it's only women are allowed. And at that time, nobody knew who I was. I was private on my accounts. And they told them I'm the founder of Boxage. I just want to hear the sentiment. They were really excited that I joined. And then they said, oh, listen, our, the owner of Boxage came and they were posting this and everyone wanted to hear me. So then I said, this is my super chummers. Those are the... Those were the most advocated consumers. They called each other charmers on the forums. They said, we need another moderators. We need another two charmers to be moderators. I mean, I was saying, this is it. I didn't even know that happens. This is kind of like a, a backroom door to a group of passionate people. And of the all most they passionate people you have. Most yeah. passionate people. And then I, it hit me. I said, the community is not about the size of your community. It's about the passion of your community. How can I amplify the passion? And then I'm going to amplify their numbers. So I said, here is my space. So I, I said, look, guys, you know what? I'm going to let you know before anybody else what's going to be next month in the box. It's going to be a sneak peek. We usually used to do on our platform sneak peek on the first of the month. I'm going to give it to you two weeks before that. Everyone wanted to join those groups. And I announced it on, on our pages on Instagram. You, you saw three forms turn into nearly 60 or 80 forms. Any, so many other uh, makeup forms and groups Ask me to join them just to let them know what's there. No problem. Because there are many charmers over there. And then I ended up having at the end uh, submitting information to about 100 forms every month. The largest boxy charm form at, at that time I noticed was more than 90,000 people in one form. And my goal was to gather them all together, all those passionate members, and make sure that they're going to be discussing together. That is their activation. That's how you activate them together. And I would say, well, check my Instagram. I would have them all move to, to my Instagram page. Everything outside of the BoxyCharm page. Make sure that it's going to be kind of like the, the underground parts, not, not the regular channel. So they'll feel they're special. Come into my Instagram page. I'll show you something. No one's going to see it. It's going to be behind my back. That's going to be your sneak peek. Though. Go in and check it out. Now they connected on Instagram. So now those two friends that were talking on Facebook, now they get to see each other's Instagram page. Now they're friends because of BoxyCharm. There's a trail of how. That was creating um, kind of like a, I would say, a very tight community of people that became so close to each other over BoxyCharm. That was the common denominator. And they were so passionate that it got to a point that the community was so solid that when I needed to launch a new product, it was a, a quarterly box, a subscription box, I announced it twice, one time on, on BoxyCharm uh, Instagram page and one time on the forums. I told them in a month and a half, there's going to be uh, a new box. It's going to be quarterly coming. The site crashed. I expected about 40,000 buyers, and I thought I'm going to sell 20,000 boxes. I wanted to sell out quick. We had about 200,000 people clicking the checkout page on the second we opened it up. We told them 9 a.m. September 1st, 200,000 people. Take my money. We added $30 million, just like that, into our revenue stream in a second from two posts because there was an infrastructure there was a community. 
everyone spoke about that. And it was really important for me, the momentum, because we had a competitor coming at the same time with their innovation. I wanted to make sure that I'm, I'm going to take the entire conversation away from them. And I had to go and make sure that it's going to be on that date. So our development team couldn't really complete the site uh, testing to make sure. That, so the site crashed, but it's okay. Mission accomplished. All of them subscribed for the following uh, yeah. for the following box because we didn't have enough boxes for them. And no one heard about the other companies. Uh, new innovation. We just took away the discussion in, uh, in the space. Um, okay, so I want to talk about the virality that you created and, and some of the things that also come from the virality because I think that uh, that will help a lot of the other things you're trying to accomplish if it's paid or if it's trending on Twitter or whatever it is. But um, you saw those groups of 90,000 people. That's You took advantage of that and that makes sense. But how, looking back, how would you reverse engineer somebody to try and do that and build that group purposefully? That's what I, that's what I think like the magic is. So you almost, you had this like cult like following, but how do you get that cult like following so that I don't, I don't want as a company, I don't want to be forced to create my own community. I want my product to be so cult like, and I want people to be so passionate about my product that they create their own communities. I think you said it's first you start with your product. No one's going to get excited over what they see everywhere else. They, they have to get excited over you. Then you, you kind of like, it's a recipe. It's not one ingredient. But it's like you, it was like, you were actually selling, you were selling other people's products. You, yeah. Like, so it's like, it, like the product was actually but it's your a combination brain of five understanding items, yeah. Yeah. what was, what resonated. Yeah. That was the product. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, I, I was the chief product officer until I had Christy that was working for us and she was taking over and she was amazing. But it took me years to find that. And then I was the, the marketing guy behind this. Uh, so, but, but look, when you build a community, I guess a lot of, a lot of the elements is that uh, when you trend, right? When you trend, you get to be seen everywhere, right? And how do you trend yourself using the community as, as a utility? You Everybody galvanize that community you're talking. You exactly. Bring together. You, you yeah. go in. And so the way I was doing every, every month, the, there was a spike when people received their boxes. Around the, I want to say around the, say the 15th of the month, people get the box and there was a spike. And I needed to kind of like, and my problem was that if you look at the chart, it was kind of like beginning of the month, a little spike when I would give them a sneak peek. Then it would go down after two, three days. Um, the discussion around BoxyCharm because they saw the sneak peek if they came to our to our platforms. And then eventually they start receiving the boxes. There's another hype spike, blah, 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 blah. It goes down towards the end of the month all the way to the next month. And I needed to lift it in those two, into those two yeah. dips. I needed to kind of like be the market market maker yeah, yeah I wanted yeah. to be the market maker yeah. so I said you know what let's do it this way I'm going to go and introduce to a small group of people but very very loud what's going to be next month in a box during the dips and I can go and do it just those those two times I'll take the two strongest items that are going to be next month in box and on the first dip and on the second dip that's what I'm going to show that and I'm going to do it in different ways but my point was I would go on the forums and I'd say is there any interest in a sneak peek I would always use the same phrase, is there any interest? Eventually, I just said, is there any interest? And that's it. They would already know what I mean. And all of them would say, yes. And you would see hundreds of comments. Yes, of course. Why are you asking this? Why? And, and then, oh, well, it's just being funny. All these guys that just telling me yes, so we can show it to us. And it was just really, really fun. Uh, and then I would go in and say, well, go tomorrow. Tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern time, you're going to find somewhere. I'm going to post something about the sneak peek. What do you have? You have a couple hundred thousand members. At the same time, searching BoxyCharm. What, what happened with 300,000 people are searching at that time? Don't, don't, 
if you if you were to spread it across 30 days there is there would be no uh, it wouldn't trigger the algorithm no for it, no, it wouldn't trend no but trends. if it's if over an hour right couple everyone everyone's trend at the same time now you would go on google trend and you would see in google trend a spike about boxycharm whenever there's a spike in the trend anyone that mentioned anything about boxycharm is going is getting tons of views anyone that mentioned their box anyone that mentioned what anything so what happened is they see that they trend when they mention boxycharm down they want to mention us more now they just created more variety concept for free you just upper funnel again everybody hears boxy 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 but you just manipulated the algorithm you just use your community to come in at the same precise time and you do it two three times a month and you keep the discussion going you get you get the discussion going and that's how you chase the cool factor just in the cool factor make everybody wants to like you um, emotionally they look at you different emotionally uh, I would say that also having a non faceless company does does the trick right but you but, put yourself out there yeah you put yourself out there right but uh, being uh, a face for the company coming all the way from the founder makes a big deal the fact that you don't take things too seriously you're being uh, funny and you have those consistent words that you keep all the time creates lingual around the community is there any interest and they would repeatedly use the same words it was it was engineer it's very easy nothing is a rocket science technically it's just it's just easy to you know what all you're doing is you're just paying attention yes which is like it sounds it sounds like uh, so basic but I mean how many companies don't pay attention how many people don't look at the feedback from their product and their users and they're just like, no, I, that's what it is. I'm going to keep putting it out there. I'm going to figure out and optimize performance marketing and I'm going to find a way to like convert people and, that have never heard the product before and they're not focused on people that are their biggest fans and their biggest evangelists and how do you serve them? It's just like find new customers, bring them in. This is a big issue with like SaaS companies too. You always focus on bringing new customers and you don't focus on churn. You have churn, you have churn in subscription boxes as well. You don't focus on churn. You have like a leaky, uh, like a whatever, like the the, the leaky, um, uh, yeah, like I'm trying to think of the analogy. Someone told me a really good analogy. It's like if you take the plug out of a bathtub and you let the water run, it's always going to, it's yeah. going to drain, but try and fill. But imagine like if you like plug that yeah. hole and you put water and it's going to overflow with money and customers yeah. and all that. Yeah. So you have to focus on the churn. You have to focus on the customers that have already purchased your product as opposed to just always bringing that new in. And how do you focus on them? We just listen to the feedback from the people that have already purchased, good and bad. And that's all you. That's all you're doing. Yeah. Well, when you when you make decisions, uh, when you run a business, you, you have a decision to make. How you're gonna spend your day? You can spend your day reading cohort data and and put yourself in endless meetings that you have created for yourself to follow up and reporting and ask everyone to go and think for you and uh, and create strategies for you. Or you can decide to still be the the technician. In a way, you're going to say, well, I'm not letting that piece go until I find someone that does it like me or better. And then I can always oversee what they're doing, but at least I know that it's in good hands. And this way, in a, for us, there was one, comp- one meeting a week for all our uh, VPs and above. Just to follow up, we used to call it a stand-up meeting. We had to talk only about what's absolutely important and urgent. That's it. Nothing else. Not everyone needs to hear everything about everything. So when you have enough time on your hand, you can be plugged into the consumer's uh, discussion. You understand what they're thinking about your product. You can maneuver. You're, you're in touch with influencers. They become your friends. They'll tell you, hey, listen, you should go and jump on, on this feature right now. You're going to blow up. Don't. At that time, it was like every, every new feature is going to give you more views. Okay, so guess what? 
Boxycharm would be the first to start using, say, uh, IGTV at the time when you would get all the views to IGTV because it was a supply and demand issue, right? They wanted to make sure that the adoption is going to be there. So you did any That's IGTV. That's all social, though. All yeah, social, it's all social. You use a new but then feature, you, right? if you go in a month and a half sooner than your competition, you get a month and a half lead time. This is, but by the time your competition came in, it came into a traffic gym. You already created a gap. Then after that, you go into reels and so on or other features on reels now. So you, you are, you, you're plugged into the trend and you have enough time in a day to look at those, those little things that can make you getting another little unfair advantage because you have the time to actually do it instead of burying yourself with meetings. And in many cases, that's what people know. They just look at the, at the business as a process-oriented process business and all they have to do is step outside and let the people work. Make it smaller meetings, less meetings. I think the, a big mistake that people are doing is big meetings. You see, when you have a large meeting with, with 100 people, but you have so many things to discuss, 14, 15 topics to discuss, it's, it's, uh, from, you'll find those meetings where most people don't even participate. And they're from different departments. And not everyone from every department needs to hear everything about every department. They need to work. And they need to know only what they need to know at the time when they need to know. If they want to ask questions, come in, we'll, we'll tell you. But, but you do not need to contribute so, to so much data for them for no reason. Because one year out the other. It's not going to stick. Or, or uh, adversely, if they do latch on to certain pieces of data without context... They could provide incorrect information or they could get stressed about things or whatever. Exactly. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, pies, taking candy from babies, both things that are theoretically easy. But anyone who's made a pie from scratch or attempted to pry a lollipop from a screaming toddler knows these things are, in fact, very difficult. But you know what is easy? Integrating, automating, and scaling your business with HubSpot. Now the HubSpot CRM platform seamlessly transfers customer data into usable insights. Like what's the average time it takes us to respond to a customer service request or how can we get better at it? The HubSpot Service Hub brings all your data and support channels in one place. So your team can spend less time hunting for information and more time delighting customers. Plus seamless connectivity with marketing and sales hubs means every person on your team has a crystal clear picture of your customer. Easy as HubSpot. Learn how HubSpot can make it easier for your business to grow at HubSpot.com. Look, it's like my, my, my analogy was a biblical analogy. The, when, when, uh, when Moses came with the Ten Commandments to, uh, to the Hebrews, there were only ten. He didn't go with the whole Bible decks of explanations of the Bibles because it's it's useless. You have a lot of people, give them a little bit of information, only what's important. You have smaller group of people, now you can go a little bit more specific. It can retain more. Depends on the group. So you start, if you have a big meeting, kind of like a town hall meeting, everybody's there, two, three things everybody needs to hear. Don't overkill it. You can you have, your, have your 10 commandments. Have yes, your... this is your 10 commandments. Don't go and discuss everything about everyone to everyone. It, it doesn't, it's, it's waste of resources in a company. So you can find large companies being uh, deployed poorly and then uh, they're, they're going to go and, 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 and lose for a smaller, more nimble competitor that just focus on what's important and urgent all the time. And then they, they, get, they get have enough time to always be tuned to the trend. Do you find that like the way you led your company, it makes a lot of sense. Do you feel like founders make a lot of 
problem like do you feel like founders fumble on this part a lot and they maybe try and uh maybe they try and step away from the from the operations too quick and then they hire someone and they micromanage that person it happens in many companies it happens in many companies where they when they start everything is good because you have a small group of people and they're much more efficient i think the the rule and i'm i'm, I'm spitting someone else's words uh, is and i like that i like the, the analogy that they gave it's uh, the scroll of your employees will do 50% of your work so if you have four people at first you're the mo- at, at the optimal stage where two people will do 50% of the work so everyone's efficient everyone knows the direction everybody understand where they're heading and they're all motivated now you have 100 people 10 people will do 50% of your work if you have 1000 it's 33 people will do 50% the the, the, the organization will be less and less uh, efficient. Eff- efficient right they actually said that once you get to a point that globally right you have the whole world right um, 7 billion people but 50,000 people will do half yes. of everyone else's work where you can see the gap why you have that always there's that 1.1% that are receiving everything because they are more effective and they're doing everything more efficient so when you grow your business we're be- becoming our own enemies because if you forget where you come from and you said well do i really need to step out of everything can a company have the founder still looking at the images before before they go sometimes on on instagram or look over is it really that bad and i think that that you can absolutely find a way to scale a business My, look i wasn't a multi billion dollar business but i was half of a half a billion dollar business and well, half, a billion, half a billion in revenue half a billion should revenue. be like the valuation at its peak would be unicorn well yeah i mean uh, or, i mean by most multiples like to be honest you would yeah well you know what i was in an industry that you don't have too many buyers it was a new industry uh so we we sell we sold uh, you know at the at the covid time but i was happy Can you imagine if you were in saas doing 500 million forget that forget it i mean look if i was doing spac if i was spacking the company at that time it was but uh but i don't want to i don't want to talk about this why are you bringing it up it's, thank you very much <laughs> no it's but good. i would have stayed there now and then i'm glad i'm, I'm out I think yeah, you don't want to you don't want to be a ceo everyone i've spoken to who's ever been in and or around ceo of publicly traded company says you don't want to be a ceo of publicly traded company yeah yeah i, I mean I like that. there's some like i think there's some like mental health aspects that are more important than money if you if you have to focus about your quarterly earning every every day then you no longer for, focus about the company the way you're doing it in the private sector yeah. and that's that's the biggest deal i mean if if i had to focus on that i would have been the death of the business it would just be very very hard for for a particular business uh it's uh it's different but i mean look i think the the ride that you take is is the real value the the transformation you have within yourself no one teaches you how to build a 500 million dollar business you have to transform to be the business well, that, that you that can do it well yeah i mean <laughs> I, i needed i needed that evolution to be yeah. able to go from here to here uh joe 2014 is not joe 2020 or 2021 it, uh, you probably you probably dealt with a lot of shit every day yeah i mean every day but at first you think every time uh, oh houses on fire and then eventually it was like i've seen this before what were your biggest fuck ups what were the, like the worst well we had uh, man we had quite a few fuckers <laughs> I mean I mean and if you didn't fuck up you didn't try right this it, it's all about that we had I mean we pushed everything to the limit you have to understand I prioritized momentum over perfection in my execution because look at look at uh, today you're going to find very creative marketers 
coming in with, with on social media and they're getting zits compared to what people have done with zero creativity in 2014. It was just a better momentum. So I always understood that momentum, I mean, to a, to a, pers- to a perfect, to a, to a particular level, right? I mean, yeah. don't completely fuck it up in, in that. No, 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 but you're not going to, yeah, but I mean, is, like, if so you execute of, in a month versus if you take it six months or a year to execute yeah. something, that's, that's the point. Exactly, exactly. So then we, we would write things on a piece of napkin. We would never use... Uh, uh, a PowerPoint presentation, just tell me over the phone, what do you, what's your ideas? And then we would go and execute, right? But because of that, we, we had a lot of, in our mind, we thought we failed. Uh, if, and also, when I was into the weeds of so many things, so I felt it. I mean, I had people going on social media telling me, what happened? Where's my box? I was really tuned into it. Maybe in other companies, the, I wasn't pushing myself away from this. So, you know, the, it's kind of like, if a, fo- if a tree falls in a forest, does it matter? For them, maybe they haven't seen it. I would see all those trees falling in a forest, and I was concerned. So my forest eventually stayed very, very clean because I was, why did that happen? Let's understand that. Some others don't because they're far away from that. But uh, I felt, I will give you one example that was um, stressful. It wasn't really our main fuck-up, but uh, there was some some event that happened to us where the we had, <laughs> we were trying to match skin tone uh, to members and we had a person that we hired that he was the data uh, science guy phd and all that smart he would do the cube in seconds uh, how do you call that rubik's cube rubik's cube in seconds oh the guy's a genius i tell you right so then i thought look it's very simple we have all the data for the members who based on their skin tone this is more important than anything else so that when you when you use the allocation who gets what you know it's what shade you said you like on your quiz and everything as i said forget all that it's all about the skin tone he said okay ship some boxes and now i start getting complaints i got the light instead of the dark i got the dark instead of the light i got the. i go and ask him what did he do he said oh yeah well the other considerations i had to take in account so i had to change it I said, what do you mean what other consideration well you know some people said they like mascara versus something else so i get well wait so what did I ask you? I said, before anything else, make sure you allocate the skin tone. Forget everything else. If someone doesn't like too much a mascara, but their skin tone is there, give it to them. Anyway, he actually did everything opposite. And people who were supposed to get one shade got the other shade. So we had to stop all the shipments uh, because there weren't too many shipments that went through, but we had to stop everything. We had to reallocate the production, something that we thought would take us two days. But reality took us about two and a half, three weeks. You have to understand when you're getting your box every month on the 12th and suddenly you're not getting it until the 31st. At first it's all good when it's a little bit delayed, but then it was nightmare. People told me, go back to your country. This is horrible. And <laughs> I mean, every we're all stressed, right? We're all stressed over that yeah. because of one arrow that, oh, well, I thought the color of the lipstick is more important. And I was like, no, it's, it cannot be more important. Like, we just gave them for the first time uh, skin tone shit. So, and that was that was early 2019. We're actually supposed to go, um, we're supposed to be sold sooner. But because of that, it delayed the entire sale of the business uh, uh, in, in about a couple of months, maybe two or three months. And that affects us big because the reason I see it as the biggest event for the business, it's because if we were to sell the company two months, we sold the business at the end of 2020. We were supposed to sell the business at the end of March 2020. 
Okay. You heard about the virus? So you're about nine months late. So what happened when we were supposed to get the final bids after doing all the due diligence from all the buyers, it was supposed to be uh, March 25th, 2020. March 15, March 16, the whole world fall apart. So we got all those buyers. Tell, saying, tell the hey, story. Tell the story of, of, yeah. of selling. It's a good story. So we were, we were going through a process. I mean, in that particular case, if we were just a few months sooner, we would have sold it, say, in 2019, and all that would have been over. But we ended up coming into that place. So the whole process had to be shut down because 10 days before the final bids, the world had to shut it's itself down. And I said, no, nah, it's not fucking real. This is not happening. This is not <laughs> happening. This is a, a Matrix movie over here. I took the wrong pill. But, but eventually, um, our, we were acquired by Ipsy. And they said, no, we're going to still buy you. And uh, we're going to, you know. The, and then eventually, we ended up selling for 20% more, I think, than the previous bidder. Uh, because of that. It was coming. It, it turned out to be for the best. But imagine, you do everything you can do. You're trying to rush it. No problems. Boom. One, one a, higher. One, one higher, one higher, and to be honest with you, there was a discussion, why is it, should we let him go, give him another chance, you know, he needs to get more explanation, HR rules, da, 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 and I said, no, it's not like that, it's a specific knowledge that none of us has, it's data science, and if you cannot understand kind of like protocol that we give him, and he doesn't follow that, there's no, and they said, no, he needs to, I need to write him up, did you tell him this, did you write him up like this, did you, we had to follow all these procedures, and then eventually that's what happened, so then, we went through we, because one hired everything got got stalled, um, but can't complain because it turned out to be not bad at all actually yeah. for us. But that it's was funny, yeah? everything happened. I mean, you know, when when I sold BoxyCharm, I knew that I needed to control the growth into 2020 because 2019 we had we doubled ourselves in growth, but we needed to in, increase the the profitability because it was more of an EBITDA market uh, driven. So, so okay. by the way. Like predictable revenue doesn't count for valuation in subscription boxes like it does in SaaS? It does. But the, um, you have to understand, it all also comes down to how many buyers you have and what exits you had in the space, right? When, when YouTube sold for 500 million years ago, people thought Google is crazy. Imagine today, right? Yeah. So you build it up. We're the first real exit in the subscription box. We're the first one. If... If you look at the beauty industry, companies that were grossing, I think there's a company that just exited for 600 million and their gross revenue was 80 million. Revenue? The gross Top revenue. Oh, okay. Yeah, and this is this is one company, right? Imagine if coming into us, right, growing, and it's much more predictable than other, I mean, the, the regular, right? But it's not a beauty brand. It's really not. It's a subscription, but what subscription? It's not a SaaS. How many buyers you have? One. No one ever bought it. Okay, so then that's what you have. And that's okay. You know what? You're proud of being what you did. I mean, my mom still accepts me in her house and she said, <laughs> you're fine. And, uh, you know, no one is mocking me in the table with my family. And my cousins are still nice to me. So it's all good. Um, <laughs> but eventually it does get to your head like, ah, I could have been a little bit. I mean, but again, I can go on and on. I could have bought Bitcoin back then and I didn't. So. No, it's just funny. I, I guess before before we chatted, I had no idea. Because when you think of subscription, I think subscription, SaaS, oh my God, how would an investor not want that? How would an investor not want something? Investors ever- were the only one that came to us, actually. It was it was the strategics that didn't come to us. Uh, have strategics have come to us, meaning the big brands, if the Sephora of the world and all those, understood what they can do with that. It's much more than, than a regular SaaS. Yeah. You have... You have uh, 
you have so much to do with what, what we're doing over there, but... They're going to try and build it out themselves. Well, they had already. They failed. Uh, Sephora had a box, and they shut it down. Macy's had a box. They shut it down. They all failed. Why? It's not an easy business. There's a reason why there are only two big companies in that space, and they build the subscription box. It was us and Ipsy. The gap between Ipsy, Boxy versus everyone else was because it takes something special to understand that business. This is not a regular business. Look, on one, on one, on one aspect, you're a makeup brand. On another one, you're a marketing brand for the brands. And then on the other aspect, you're a logistic brand. You know how hard it is to ship a million boxes, compose all those boxes in 10, and 10 you can days? Never, you can never own it. manufacturing. You can never own manufacturing do, ever. Yeah, it's impossible. You, you don't do that. So you have you have to deal with all the products coming from all over the world to make it on time for that particular thing because that variation has to go to that yeah, segment. That's, that's so a, you're a logistic yeah. company that has to have data science behind this. You have to have technology. Then you have a technology company behind this. To manage all this, as a founder, you have to understand a little bit of everything. And then... When you have a million plus members, the customer service team has to have different procedures than anyone else. Because if you are delayed, let's just say a week, two weeks, the amount of, of input you, they're going to have, you're going to fall apart. So you have to have a by far better automation. You have to connect with the member before they know that there's going to be a problem. Because if, if you have 200, 300 uh, Customer service representatives. That's not enough when you have a million people not getting their box on time. What do you do? One time we had a hurricane. So we had a hurricane and we had to get out of town. Now, thankfully, a year before that, I decided that if there's going to be, a, we used to compose all of, build all our boxes in Florida. We used to do it ourselves. Because at first we did our boxes ourselves. So we were doing the logistics, doing technology, doing everything ourselves, right? All the hats you can, just pair of pliers, making, making it work. And we did amazing, by the way. But I figure, you know, I can do great, but if there's a hurricane, I'm not shipping anything for a couple of days, people are going to hate me. Let's get out of Florida, the, at least the fulfillment part. So we got out of Florida and we had a hurricane. And I said, thank God we got out of here. Imagine. Okay, so guess what? There was a blizzard on the place where the hurricane was. <laughs> no hurricane in Florida, but we sent it to the north, mm. east. Blizzard shut down everything for a couple of days again. They were trashing us. Where is my back? Shut it down. There was a blizzard. I mean, I can't control the weather, but it's also, they're not wrong. So then, okay, we have to go to a place that has no blizzards, have no natural disasters. What are you going to do? So it's, it's a stressful business. And when you get executives to sit down on an office that managing a bunch of stuff, and that's just one more thing, they're going to they're gonna lose. Yeah. You got to be all in when you do it. You have to understand how to respond to the consumer there's no protocol for other companies how to respond so many. You have to understand customer service. You got all the elements. You had no idea that it was going to be like this going in. No idea. I had no idea what I'm getting myself into. The biggest challenge is, the first biggest challenge is when you get to, say, 20,000 members. Because you learn that at first you buy the product, you go to brands, they have it on the shelf. So you can do it for next month. But all of a sudden, when you have 10, 20,000 Were you members, going, is that how you start? You just go into stores? Door. No, no, not stores. You go to brands. Connect okay. with them, explain the concept. and So you go to small brands at first because they're receptive to say hello to you. And the other ones, who are you? Get out of here. But then they go and they, they have like 500, 1,000 units on the shelf. But when you get to 10, 20,000, you have to start asking them to produce it for you. So you have to upfront at first the money because no one gives we'll you credit. That, yeah. They would go in and production is eight months. So now you have to build your boxes eight months in advance. 
that means you have to do, you have to anticipate how many you're going to need every month, which you're never going to be right. Too many, not, not enough, all that. So you build that business this way. And then you said, damn, this is, this is hard because eventually you run every month without having any extra money on balance sheet, but you're making money, but it's all in products for the next few months and you hope for no problems. And then some problems didn't make, some products didn't make it on time because there is a strike at the airport. So there's a lot of moving parts that you have to manage. And it's a stressful business. I'm just right? thinking. But about, this is what business is all about. If you I know, think but it's I just be... think about like, <laughs> I just think about like when my CTO has to onboard more customers and he and he spins up another AWS server. That's <laughs> it's a little less stressful. It's a it, look. I had my my wife telling me, um, just go back to the liquidation. Why are you doing this to yourself? When we had one stressful day, uh, and I told her. This is way better. Let me let me continue this one. If anything, it gave me more motivation because I told myself, good, it's a stressful business. I want to see Sephora and Macy's coming into that space. I said that before they got in. I said, if they come into that space, they'll fail. They'll never be able to sustain that pressure that I do. That's how I knew it's better for me. I knew that there's going to be one or two winners at the, at the other side. So, okay. So one thing you brought up that I thought was interesting is that you had a ton of uh, ton of problems finding the right help, so you you didn't hire people till much later that you felt like you could like not the not like the general people running the business, but like the people that could see your vision and actually execute. So you've mentioned to me before a couple maybe mishires. I don't know if you want to go into those. It's up to you. But the people that um, that you did find, how did you find the good people, and how did you uh, how did you stay away from people that maybe missed the mark? So. Uh well, a couple of things. First, uh, I hired a lot of young people uh, from Miami. And uh, to someone else's words, a friend of mine that used to work with us, he said, you turn them into ninjas. They are, first of all, they're great. They're open-minded. They want to learn. They're, they're excited. And you can see their transformation. The, the thing is, they were not molded into anything already by someone else. So they sit with you and they You do that a lot. Like even you, going to the industry, you, you always... You always mention that your advantage is that you knew nothing about the industry. You use it as an advantage, yeah. right? You can look at this as, as, an, as a downfall, but it can also be an advantage. But in, 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 the, in terms of hiring, eventually we needed to hire experienced people because there's only, eventually you have to parachute people that have done things you haven't done. And we, we had some great hires that obviously overcompensate for the bad hires. I think every business comes to a point like that, uh, that the scaling of the business where you have to tier your organization from flat into tiered and you have to put layers. There's two components to it that, that everyone has to understand. One is when you tier the organization and people are not as efficient as they were when they're all with you in a room, it's because they no longer understand what we're really doing in this business and how where we're heading and how we're going to get there. So I had to create the... I had to create the four pillars and the goal for the business. So no matter how many tiers you're going to have, everyone's going to understand that. It had to be coherent, like the Ten Commandments. We had we had our four pillars, and the, it was clear, precise. Everyone knew how to do it. And it really carried us all the way through the exit. So that's one thing. So they all know where they're going, so you have a goal-oriented business. And I, I can literally give a semester about that. But the second part is hiring the right people, to your point. Hiring the right people, listen, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to hire the wrong people. The question is not just, and it's important, not just how to find the right people. It's between you and your competitors, who's going to retain the wrong people longer? 
those are the losers. Interesting perspective. Yeah. You need to be faster in letting the wrong people go. I was yet to be... Okay, I want to say it this way, okay? I was never sorry about someone I let go. The only regrets I had was not letting them go soon enough. That's, the, that's my regret. If you, and then some of them were catastrophic. Some of them were just okay. Some of them were, but just okay is not what you're looking for. You're not looking for just okay. You, I'd rather have a smaller team with, with ninjas versus another guy that, you know, no. It needs to be for the business. If you want to be a unicorn, you want a person that's going to fit what you're looking for. And it's okay to go in and be precise with what you're looking for. I mean, how do you find that? That's the question. Well, the, so you said there was one person I, I can't remember her name, uh, the the woman who took over as product. I, I don't want I don't want to mention no, 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 the, oh, the one that succeeded. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, the, yes. yeah, yeah, the one that yeah, was Christy. Yeah. So how did you find her? So listen, some they come to you eventually, right? At first, nobody wants to come to you because nobody knows your company, so you have to make do with what you have, and you have to train your own people. And you have to figure out things that you don't know because you can't find the people who know. They don't want to come to you. You work in a crappy place at first with a small. The, nobody you want to work with. So you have to learn it yourself, figure it out. Then you don't just go and expect someone to figure it out for you if they don't have never done this. And you want, and it eventually was actually the best thing that happened because it, I had to learn so much. Eventually, I knew who's the right person and who's not. Look, if I'm a mechanic, a car mechanic, and I want to hire you to my. I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. It's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. You need to ditch the busy work. You need to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster all the tools you need are in one spot. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. Now, as a business owner, I always remember when my company hits a growth spurt. It's great, but then you realize that things start to break. Things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000, that's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies. And one, because your business truly is one of a kind, NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place, from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions. And they turn complex financials into understandable 
actionable insights. Right now, you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. Go to netsuite.com slash scottclary to download the checklist and see how one complete system can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Get more control in your business with NetSuite. Just a quick question. Have you ever had one of those oh no moments when you realize that you accidentally deleted a huge file or worse, your whole computer dies? I know I have. It's happened to me a lot, but don't sweat it. The sponsor of today's episode, Backblaze, they have your back. It is unlimited backups for all your Macs, your PCs, or even your whole company. And it's really affordable, under a hundred bucks a year. If you're running a business, they take the stress out of protecting everyone's data. If you need more bells and whistles for compliance, so on and so forth, they have enterprise options too. Honestly, losing data sucks, but Backblaze makes getting it back easy. They have restored billions of files. They offer tons of restore options, including rapid recovery in an event of data loss or ransomware. And you can access your backed up data from everywhere and anywhere in the world using their web app, iOS, or Android apps. It's been recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, and tons more. And best, you can try it fully featured with no risk at backblaze.com story. They set up that link for all Success Story podcast listeners. That is a no-risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all success story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening our business leaders, entrepreneurs, you know that if you spend your time incorrectly, it can make or break your business, your personal, professional relationships. It can completely sidetrack you and stop you from reaching your goals. So I'm going to ask you, are you protecting your time? How much of your day is eaten up by tasks that could have been done by someone else? Wouldn't you rather spend your time on things that truly matter? The answer should be yes, because you have to, to move the needle on whatever it is you're trying to build. That's where Belay comes in. They are the nation's largest pool of exceptional 
US-based talent. Belay offers flexible staffing solutions to free you up. Need a virtual assistant to conquer those pesky administrative tasks or maybe an accounting professional to really keep your finances in order? Belay can help with all that and way more. Their personalized matching process saves you the headache of hiring by finding the perfect match for your needs in as little as a week. Focus on what matters the most with the help from Belay. Text SUCCESS that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to learn more and get started. Mechanic shop. I'll know if you're good or not because I'm a mechanic. But if I'm not a technician, I'm not the mechanic, how the hell am I going to know? You have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. So you want to run a, a, a body shop or mechanic, a, a garage? You got to learn the job first. Then you're going to find better people because you'll know who's good and who's not. Right? Same here. Uh, we, me, my team, we have to learn everything. And by the time we hired people, we were able to filter better than the, the other ones because we knew what, what we need. We knew who's good and who's not. We understood. So, and it took us a while, right? We needed to, we needed to crack that shell ourselves. Wasn't easy, but after you get uncomfortable, you're fine. But, um, and again, that kept me thinking outside of the box that was created by the beauty industry. And when you bring in people, and you know what, to be honest with you, like I, I tried first to bring in uh, people from the beauty industry and I was rejected as, as follow. What is your mission statement? What are you here to change in the world? Um, give me uh, in seven words, why does the world need uh, your company? What's your DNA? All those, I don't have all those questions. I just need you to help me get mega brands into my box. Can you do that? No, before we do it, we need to go and look at the look and feel of your website. And uh, there is no soul. There is no. Listen, I don't need you to be my creative director. I just need better products. That's going to sell my box. No, but your website and let's look. Let's just not do it then. Thank you. I know what I, I was. I knew exactly what's important for my business. I can compromise on the look and feel of my website. I can compromise on the messaging for all my employees and who am I because no one's going to care. I'm too small. I just want the right product. There was nothing else more important. And when you go to an industry that all they care about is that. Okay, good. All my competition. Let them focus on all mm-hmm. what's not important. Dig for, let them dig for, for, for copper so I can find the gold. I just need the gold. I don't need you to give me copper. And eventually you, you see the results and eventually you find that all the time that was spent is to absolutely what's important and urgent, nothing else. And when you do that, you learn, you, you can screen those people better. You understand how they, they think, how they work, and you ask them questions. Look, I had, when I was trying to hire a CMO, um, I had three questions because I was a marketing person. And I came from experience in that case. And I did not want it, a person that's going to be just a, a general manager that's, that got a job somewhere as a CMO and, and doesn't really know the marketing. I'm a marketer that started everything from the ground up, but then scaled everything up. And I wanted to know, do you really know marketing? So I told them, well, here's, here's how you interview a CMO. You're running a jewelry company, sir. Ma'am, I'm giving you $5,000 a month budget to go and promote your business. You got to be profitable. You don't operate under debt. $5,000, you got to make money with this. Shoot, what do you do? Tell me. 
After they tell you what they do with the $5,000, okay, now your company scaled a little bit. Now your budget is $100,000. What's the best answer that you've heard? Well, I'll, I'll, okay. the thing is, uh, if, you are, if so. you are going, uh, well, the second one is now I'm giving you $100,000, what do you do? Now I'm giving you a million, what do you do? Because if you, if you give me the right answer for the $5,000, that means you have grind in the beginning from the get-go, you understand all the elements on the ground, how to do it. Then if you know the 100000 that means you scaled a little bit. You might get stuck on a million. That means you never really l- manage a large budget. And, and I needed you to understand all that because at the end, we could have spent easily a million dollars or more a month. So it was, it was that. Now, I think the critical part where everyone failed, everyone, was the first one. They didn't know what to do with 5000 You have a jewelry company. Well, I would hire an agency. Okay, bye. <laughs> Get the fuck out of my company. I do not want to hear you. I did not hire you to hire someone else. I can do it myself. Thank you very much. The door is there, like I said. Horrible. Horrible. Then you'll find, if they knew marketing, if I go and I tell you, build your own thing, do your own thing. Can you do it? Can you go in right now, build it? Here's a website. Here's a couple products to sell. Put it on the website. Show me how you sell them. If you can't do it, why would you think that you can go and work for my business? And no one was able to actually answer right. And I remember my partners, which they are amazing. And I think a big piece of who I am today was thanks to them. They told me, Joe, you need to find a CMO. I mean, we got, we got to sell a business that has a CMO. Well, before you go <laughs> into the story, I need to know. So the right answer, the right answer, my answer to that would be like content marketing, like 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 content marketing. Well, I mean, I mean, my thing is organic first, but I, I, I do mean, not like care social. about my view because if you had your experience as a marketer for your business, you can tell me something I didn't know about. Awesome. But I've always done organic social for everything to start it off. When so no you budget. you've done what I've done, okay? You could have done something else. Yeah. That that be just fine. I'm not looking for my answer. I'm looking for your answer. Or affiliates are are free too. Anything, yeah. right? You can say, well, I found that. But hiring an agency look, is not. It. If you tell me hiring an agency or so, and if you if you tell me I'm going to go and do paid, okay, you can do paid with the five thousand. Maybe you know paid so well. Tell me your tactics specifically. How are you going to do the paid? Well, if you told me well. We're going to go and sell female jewelry. And if I'm going to go and take a bracelet and I'm going to try to appeal to the female consumer, so I need to go and sir, I, I said that my demographic is women from that age to that age. I'm going to pay $4 a click. However, if I go and I, I basically put for general audience, for whoever, I'm going to pay $0.05 cents a click. But what I'll do is I'll put a pink background. The algorithm automatically would associate the pink background with female. And now I can hit only female consumer, but instead of paying $4, I'm paying Ah, you know what? The guy knows what he's doing. Maybe he doesn't know uh, internet marketing, but maybe I can use that. Maybe he, maybe he, know, he doesn't know how to work with influencers, but yeah. perhaps we can still work with that. Okay? I understand, yeah. So I needed to hear something like, that's like going to be granular. creative that you've done this. I want to know that you actually made money. And it doesn't have to be the way I would have made the money. So and otherwise, otherwise, I don't need you. I don't need another McKinsey guy that came down. Not to say nothing against McKinsey, but just... Just you, a generalist. You need, you need zero to one. You need people yes. that operate from zero to one with no budget. Think about it like bootstrapped. Yes. You have no money at all. Yeah. So anyway, the, the CMO, the, the, you, the, you said your, friend, um, your, your partners needed a CMO. They told me, Joel, uh, I, I basically said, no, 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 no. Uh, and they said, we need a CMO. We need to find any, like someone good. And, uh, and then the thing was, and I don't want to go too deep into it because there is more to the story, but but they, they were not wrong. We needed a CMO to sell to other companies because they didn't want to say, Joe is the business. They told me, Joe, no one's going to go and let you cash out on so much. 
they'll they'll need you they'll tie you up so they they were absolutely right but i told them every time they would come in with someone like fucking idiot or she's a, and i'm like that i'm i'm rough around the ages you, nobody has to like me all the time but i was telling the truth they're not the right people I, and i can't find them and they said are you sure I said i am 100% sure why do you think we're making it like this because i'm the one doing the marketing if they're not as good as me or more i don't want them i can keep doing it myself my day is clear i had all the time in the world i was doing product and uh and marketing and i had enough time and i wasn't sitting all day on marketing every time when there was a meeting i was it was a, a very tactical meeting oh let's let's look at our instagram feed let's see oh i know why we how did we where do you think we got bad re, bad engagement on this post and we have the team talking about it's just just empowering the people and working together that was the thing i was doing but i would do it once a week i had enough time so i said i, I don't need i don't need so much uh, help in that regard but ultimately there is there is something to tell about how to hire people but I think the 60% of that is to fire the wrong people, to let them go. And I will say I was guilty of keeping some people longer because, you know what, you eventually get attached and you give another, oh, you know what, they have kids and they're relocated. Let's try more. And let's de- it's, it's, it's hard, but um, the better ones, uh, the better companies would be the one that just let you go sooner uh, if you're not the right person for the job. You think that, um, you think that one of the... The one skills that a a CEO a CEO should have is to be a sales or marketer first, and to understand sales and marketing. Do you think that's one of the most useful skills a CEO can have? I can't tell you if it's for everybody, but for me, it was absolutely. Imperative. That's one of the first things that I'm I'm scared of. When it doesn't matter if it's a consumer product or an enterprise product, the CEO can't sell it, or can't market it. Then that's a that's a big red flag. Like I see, like look at Elon Musk versus Ford. Who's the CEO for Ford again? I don't remember. Exactly, right? A hundred-year-old company or so, right? Elon Musk shows up all of a sudden. He's How a much value do you think comes from, from him creating, uh, putting his face out there? How much worth? If well, he loses billions. His, if, if, imagine if Elon Musk is losing his Twitter account. What's going to happen to the stock? It's going gonna, it's gonna to crash. It's gonna... Right? I mean, CEO, CEO can absolutely, I mean, it's a sell job by itself, right? Yeah. People want to root for him for that. Now, obviously, he created a phenomenal product, right? But still. He sells. He sells, right? If he, if he goes right now and says, hey, uh, we're going to go and put another round for SpaceX. Uh, if you want to be a partner, we do another round if anybody wants. Would you put your money into it just because yeah, it's him? 100%. Right? That's what, okay, so question. Before, we, I would talk about Elon in a second. Is there any other? Do you want to go into more boxy charm stuff? Let's let's get out of the boxy because I'm sure that the guys already left the room and it's only chicks. We need to bring the bu- the guys back into the room <laughs> and not talk about makeup because... I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Manscaped. Now, Manscaped is the leader in below-the-belt grooming. And because you're listening today to Success Story, you're going to get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20success at manscaped.com. But let me give you a little rundown of why Manscaped is so awesome and what you're going to be getting. So you're getting the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. It has everything you need to prepare that summer body. In the package, you're going to have the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. You're going to have the Crop Reviver Toner. You're going to have the Crop Preserver, which is under the belt deodorant. You're going to have Performance Boxer Briefs, and you're going to have a travel bag to hold all of it. Now, their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, that is 
the thing they're known for. It features a cutting edge ceramic blade. This reduces grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. They have a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch. Uh, they can engage a travel lock. They have an LED light on that. You can take it anywhere because it's all waterproof. So beach, lake, shower, the razor goes anywhere. So if you want 20% off, that's 20% off plus free shipping on the performance package. You're gonna to go to manscaped.com, use the code 20success. Remember, that is 20% off plus free shipping, the performance package, all the stuff I just mentioned, go to manscaped.com and use the code 20success. Okay, so you wanna, so there's two There's two rabbit holes we can go down. I think the Twitter one is interesting, and we can also go down YouTube too. Those are two very relevant. So with Twitter, um, any opinions on on what he's doing with buying Twitter and trying to buy Twitter and the bid and the fact that it's so there's all now it's just like arguments left, right and center, right? Because it's a public traded company. People are saying, oh, like, how can he have the audacity to just think he can buy it? And my argument has always been like, well, if it's public, technically, it's always for sale. I think Jack Dorsey is the, the one who said that as well. Like, so do you think that it's a good thing or a bad thing that Elon is trying I, to buy? I, I, I'm i I'm, um. I'm a big believer in free speech, and I think uh, Elon Musk does things not because he wants to make money up until now. I mean, he wanted to change things, right? At least after PayPal, at least. Yeah. He, you know, after PayPal, he, he didn't expect to actually make it in Tesla or SpaceX, but he thought it was important enough. And I think you've seen the, you've seen the, the negative side of kind of like a control, a media control. And I think he's doing it for, for that reason. Uh, I, I guess I guess a big example of that is to say, well, he's he's not taking himself too seriously when he goes to uh, to Vladimir Putin and says, "I'll fight you if if I win, you leave Ukraine." And he's just not taking himself too seriously. He never takes himself seriously. Exactly, which and is then, why I think people like him because exactly. he's really he's chill. He's he's laid back. He's chill. I, I think I think the biggest thing is when we look at at and I, I'm not going to go politic over here, but look at Netflix right now. Netflix crashed. I think anyone that doesn't know, so Netflix crashed three months ago. After the quarterly earning, that they did good actually. They they lost because of one thing that their CFO said said we don't know why we didn't grow as fast as we can. That that basically crushed the whole market. But I thought they were down two hundred thousand subscribers. Now, oh, you're talking no, about no three months ago they just didn't increase as much as they said they're gonna increase. Now, then their projection was to increase this time two point five million, and now they actually went down two hundred thousand, which is not a lot, but the biggest part was they hit the ceiling. They hit the ceiling for member base. And when you invest in a company that at that time... They you, you think they hit the ceiling? I well, don't think that's why they went down. Well, I mean, listen, they hit the ceiling for them. To say that the space is three times bigger is foolish. It's not true. The space is not three times. That's it. They have 150 or so million members that are paying for the streaming service. They have stiff competition coming from really strong competitors. You have Apple uh, doing in the streaming service. Yeah. They have Hulu. Uh, Hulu. They have, they have Amazon. Disney. They have Disney, Amazon, right? And what happened is the, um, at that time, there was no one else. And they, they did a fantastic job. I think they changed TV as we see it today, right? They created their own TV shows exclusive to create stickiness for their platform. But now everyone else is doing that. And I don't think it's about their price that they're increasing that people complain. I think the biggest mistake that they did was eventually will come the time that you're going to stop growing in member base. And when that time comes, people are no longer going to um, look at your um, PE uh, price per earning 
as, as a fast growing company anymore. Now it's going to have to drop to about one, it, it, 10, 12 uh, P, the, the P but, ratio but do you believe? Do you believe that the average person that's investing in Netflix understands the TAM of streaming? Because I don't think they. Do. I believe that uh, that there's a big percentage because look at the fact that you have, uh, and we don't know what is the percentage of institutional money going behind this, and they, you bet they know it. They know it, yeah, for sure. And, and then you still have at least fifty percent of the other people. I don't know a percentage of all the other ones that understand that. But then look, there is the herd, the herd mentality. They all come, they all come back. But the thing is, if you understand. Doing, doing a simple math, like, okay, they are no longer growing. Why is the, the, the PE so high? Why can't I just put it on a more stable company that doesn't go anywhere, more like a PNG, there's there, the slow growth, like anybody else, like PNG, like J&J. Like, a, like, like closer to blue chip. Exactly. They go out and that's it. Like You, you moved from that category. Now, where is going to be the PE ratio? It's based on the market goes up and down right now. But because that happened, it created a lot of panic and there is that momentum with that overcorrection. The thing is, looking at all this, and I think this is where the, the discussion is lacking right now on social media, what is the mistake that Netflix have made? And I can tell you in my mind, it comes from the CEO, where the CEO should have anticipated that, and he needed to go and diversify to another time, total addressable market, that's easier for him to get into, because right now, all they make, all the revenue is just from streaming. Mm-hmm. When you look at Amazon, when you look at... Uh, uh, when you look at uh, Disney, when you look at all the minus Hulu, I think all of them are making multiple uh, revenues from different streaming, uh, from different uh, services. This is just one more time for them. He, he they needed to go and do the same. Music streaming yeah. was the first one they should have gone into. Five bucks a month extra, get music as well. How are you going to say no to that? Build up the algorithm so I can hear it better than my music on Spotify. Take a piece of that market. Now it does. It's going to create more stickiness, and it's not defined only by the time for streaming service only. There is another market for you that you can grow. Second one, and I think that is the biggest opportunity that they have missed, and that's lack of creativity. Compete with YouTube. Why YouTube? Very easy. Imagine if they go and they create their own social media platform, YouTube style, where you can go and start reviewing the re- you go, you put your own reviews on the movies. And guess what? When you go on Netflix, just next to the trailer, I can start seeing the top reviews by people. Imagine everyone is going to jump into that. I don't want to break it all down, but it is easier for them. Easier for them than anybody else. They could have done this early enough, build their own celebrities, just like TikTok build the Charlie D'Amelio and all that. Amazon's doing it. Amazon has influencers now too. Bam! Yeah. I had no idea about that. They they said, do. This they is do, what they should have done. Uh, they do like they they Amazon. I don't. But are they doing it for the movies? No, for, so for streaming. So live streaming shopping. So now they have Amazon. So they're doing live it for streaming shopping. streaming shopping because they're going after what uh, Facebook is doing. Yeah. I think they should have done this for videos where you can create your own videos about anything, but it can start as reviewing videos. You can go and cut and paste, do your own trailers. You can do your own, whatever it is. It's, and then yeah, you can see the for them to do. It would have been easy and people would want to do it. And then eventually, I mean, how do you drive people into it? Fairly easy. If you're one of the top ones, you're going to go to the premiere next time. You can be invited. You can meet. Everyone's going to want to do it. They could have had, so they can enter the, the social media market. It gives you power. It gives you a lot more influence and more revenue. Now you're not long. You don't tie. This is your safety net. When you By the time you're going to reach your 
you already have other revenue streams that are coming in, building themselves up. And that is, again, an infrastructure for something else in the future. And that is the mistake they made. They were more than $200 billion market cap. They crushed it. And they had the, the cash. They had the opportunity. And you need to do it when you don't need to do it. Mm, that's that's the that's the the that golden piece of advice. You have yes. to do it before you need to do it. You know, there's other things they could have done too. You didn't even touch on the thing that they're actually trying to do. So they're going to introduce. They're thinking about introducing ad tiers. So you see, this is doing the same thing, right? This is for me. This is kind of like you. You haven't stepped out of your own town. They're still. They're still. You're stuck still in stuck so in the same so, town. So same tam, more revenue. In a diff, uh, different. I don't different. even know if it's going to create more revenue. They just wanted to go in and go back for the churn. They, look. If you're in your own time, eventually you're going to start eating eating from your own pan and, and it, it's going to just get harder. You're going to rethink everything you're doing and everything else. You needed to get out. You could also do, what about you? What about the thing that like Prime does, Hulu does, where you can, re- like, f- like first releases, you can pay for them ahead of everyone else. You can also do that. Absolutely. So that's, that's slightly that. different, Tam. It's, de- it's definitely a different time that they should have done. But but overall, it's the same time in that industry, but modification. But all of all, overall, what I'm what I'm trying to say is that while you're losing your creativity, and it seems like that's one of the things they've lost. When you yeah. go and you said, "Well, I'm going to make sure I'm going to find if you're using your password," uh, and then you know, oh, yeah. right, pay me a little bit less, but I'm going to show you commercial. I think that's when you can see a finance-driven mentality and not creative-driven mentality running the business. It's a it's a more of a financier banker running this business yeah. instead of instead of a product person that want to create excitement every time. You know, and I'm a firm believer that finance people should never run businesses. Every business that I've ever seen a finance person run and not a salesperson, a marketer, or a product or a creative person, I always find that they screw the business up. Well, I, I, I'm, I don't disagree, but what I will say is, look, Jeff Bezos came from, uh, from the finance world, and the thing is he was able to step out of that mindset, and he was able to be the financier when he needed to, but he understood that perhaps that this is not what it's all about. This is not finance. Finance, you can find, this is this is commodity. You can find financiers everywhere. Fine. Great. Better than anybody. Right. But you just need to be that person to find opportunity. And he was not a financier when he was doing this. He was really looking at the experience for the members. Mm-hmm. It was all about the consumer. Let's go and ship it faster. It was, it was nothing like a financier. So some people can get the finance experience or they can get access to opportunities through the finance position that they sit in. He was in a... Um, I know a lot of people that have been put in the CEO roles because they've been in like, they're like accountants at one point and they, they move their way up and then... But they're usually horrible. He's a unicorn. Yeah. Mostly, mostly when I see PE people coming in, their, their job is to be operation. They want to run a business. And, you know, it's okay in some cases, but but it's it's like... They go many many of them go back to their comfort zone, which is let, let me look at the cohort data, let me go and cut the meat and, and fire people. They're just not looking at everything the right way. Trim the fat. Trim the fat, yeah. Cut, <laughs> cut the, the meat. meat. I said <laughs> cut the meat. I'm sorry, my English, yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. It's I was good. testing your English, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, cut the meat, that's a new cut one. The meat. Yeah, that's not good. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Um no, okay. So what do you think? Uh do you think Netflix is going to recover? Do you think they're going to diversify? And I also, you know what's funny about the TAM on Netflix? You saw CNN Plus? With oh, one, yeah. So it was like 300 million that they invested or something like that, and they yeah. had 10,000 subscribers? Oh, my God. So that's a ceiling. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a tough competition to go into. At first, Amazon 
didn't do it all great in the beginning, the series that they came up with, a movie they came up with, like, yeah, it's a boring stuff. movie. Now, I love they have Prime. Lord of the Rings. I, they have Lord of the Rings coming out. They have everything. They have everything. And people, uh, for at first, being in Netflix was a big deal. Now, Netflix is not the only player in town, and now people can have options. So, they open it up for competition. Listen, I think that uh, uh, the Netflix has the opportunity uh, to go and do it, but I think it's a bit late for them to go and manage manage everything else right. They did declare what they're going to do, and coming into earning after earning after earning, they're going to get beat. I, I can't see them dying. They're still big. Last time I checked, they were $97 billion market cap. Uh, but I think it's going to affect a lot of their quality of their movies. The, the other mistakes they made, and I think people give it more, they dramatize it more than what it is. I think they went political, and they went uh, extreme left. And uh, Musk was actually tweeting about this. Who? Musk. Elon Musk was tweeting about it. So right before the shares... Uh, right before the earnings report and the shares dropped like 30 points, he actually tweeted like Netflix screwed themselves by going too woke. And it was like the, it was like 24 yeah. hours before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't get it. Why Why would a public company in which I, any one of us can buy shares in both sides of the spectrum go, go, go politic any side? Because you have an obligation for your shareholders to make sure that you're not going to create any reasons for people to not dislike you. Being disliked by a group of people is just not a favorable position. Now, I get it if, if you have a plan behind this, like, you know what, I'm going to grow the business, I'm going to go to a very dedicated consumer, and this is going to be my strategy. But when you're already there in the middle of things and you have such a big company, and you're, it's and you're a politics problem. agnostic. Nobody, nobody looks at Netflix as a political company. Now they do. Now they do. Now they do. And, uh, and people are not... Now, I, I don't think, though, that that was really what, what hurts them because... I don't think people say, oh, you know what, screw them, let me cancel. No, they still wanted to see their shows. They still wanted to see all that. And I think they have a long way to go. I think they can still recover. Look, there's the day two uh, companies, which I believe they're, they're in day two company. It's a slow sinking ship. What do you mean? What is day two? I don't even know that term. It's not me again. It's Bezos. He was uh, explaining day one and day two. Day one, it's your first day in a company. If you every day wake up like it's the first day that you launch a company, uh. those are the companies that thrives. The company, the day two mentality is the company that's, that they had their heydays. Now they're in the second day. And the excitement is not there. It's a slow. It's kind of like a company that that doesn't uh, observe, that, that don't want to go and accept the trend. They swim against the trend because the trend has changed since what, what back then used to work. Now they're fighting, they're swimming against the current. Basically, instead of swimming with the current, observing the, accepting the, the change and, and so on. So those are the, but it can be a slow, slow death and can be over years. You can see companies that takes them years. Now, I'm not telling you they can't get out of it, but they need either a mind shift uh, that the general is going to have. And usually it's not just the general on top. It, it needs to be the whole sea level underneath them because you hire like-minded people that pretty much have that idea. Sometimes you have to have a routine change. Mm-hmm. to make make an impact in the business in the right way. And then it goes through some tough times sometimes because the first change, you know, you're not going to see the results right away. But it's kind of like a necessary evil where an antibiotic, you're going to feel weak a little bit, but eventually it's going to kill the the disease. Um, what are you... So I'm just, it's interesting because now, like I know you're hyper-focused on, like you're hyper-focused on investing and you're looking at different companies. And I'm actually curious as to what you think about different uh, different companies that you're interested in different trends like just outside of YouTube but just to like to bring it back like you're like recently fresh 
off the exit of your company too. What is it like when you've worked so hard towards something and then you sell it and now you have cash in the bank and like explain what your day-to-day -day is like and what it feels like to decompress after that. So, you know, the, the day when the wire came in, the disappointment is that you don't feel anything. You expect, because you, you kind of like sit in your head and, and all that and you work through the due diligence part, which is like six to eight months. And you're very happy, you're very excited and, and all that. You keep it secret. It's only a small circle of people that knows about it. And we're sitting down, we're all excited. It's my partners, myself, just talking about that. Then that, my mom didn't even know about that. Really? Of course not. Even when we exit, I never really told her anything. So come the day and um, get the cash. And I remember my banker said, okay, we, I see it in the account. I'm like, I don't see it. I'm refreshing. He's like, refresh again. Nope. Let me log out. Let me log in. <laughs> yeah. No, there's like, oh, it's here. And they said, okay, wow. And we're like, yeah, it's here. And it's like, what do you feel now? What, what do you, so I'm like, I don't know, nothing. Maybe it's because I already premeditated this too many times in my head. And But I will say that comes a time, I think it took me about, a year until I actually processed that. It took me a minute to process that. And um, you start processing that where at first you get some concern when you get the cash. It gives you a little anxiety because you're not used to hold something like this. And then, um, and then it goes away. And then eventually comes the point where you, you start uh, thinking, okay, I want to make sure that I'm going to be doing right, the right moves. But you really don't have to wake up and manage so many people. You don't have the stress. It's a, it's a different level. And I didn't have this for 18 years. I had the first company into the second company with no stop. 18 years, just building something out of nothing. And suddenly, you know what? It's, it's fine. You can just sit down and you really don't have to worry about that every day. And I remember that one day I sat down and I felt like, wow, it's hitting me. You can just sit down and enjoy. And I didn't enjoy vacations for 18 years. I, I couldn't enjoy. I was able to go to Mykonos. I was there for like eight days and I was free. I felt free. For the first time, because when you run a company, I was not the guy that could detached. I was a hundred percent in. I, I I was forced. My wife was like, "Hey, listen, uh, we gotta go." We, and every time I would go with her anywhere, I felt like I'm suffering because my mind wasn't there, and I had to be on the phone the whole time. And you just cannot mentally disconnect, and it's going on for eighteen years. I don't know if there is a toll for that, but. For the first time, I, I don't think there have probably to. is. There probably is a toll. I yeah, mean, like, yeah. I'm sure, like, if you didn't do that for 18 years, like, you'd be, I don't know, maybe a few less gray hairs. I'm sure it does stuff to your body too, like your heart, like your, like I'm sure there's like. Physical. Look, I'm 72 years old right now, and you can see how I age. No, I'm just kidding. So I had I had that moment when I told myself I really am free now, and it took me more than a year to process that. At least for me, it was like that, but. You know, going, I remember driving Mykonos and just not worried about anything, needing to check my phone all the time. I can just drive and there's no Armageddon situation that can happen in the business any given time. It's just, it was it was amazing to go and feel that, but I needed a moment. I needed a moment. And I still, I, I'm not going to lie to you, I am still not 100% there. I don't know how to really take a break. I don't know how to do it yet. I feel like I need to do something. That adrenaline is, is very addicting. I need that adrenaline. And look, my friends have been going to so many vacations all this time. I, I can't. Come by. I, I can't. I, I want to do other stuff. I want to figure out some things. Let's go and check this manufacturer. Let's go and look at that, that, that. My mind keeps running and I go to sleep at night. I keep thinking about and I don't know how to shut it off yet. 
But that one week that gave me that moment where I didn't have to think about it. I'm just thinking about how we're going to go party after and let's jump into the pool. And it was sun. It was beautiful weather. It was great. I didn't have that for 18 years. And I enjoyed this. Unlike all the other times where I hated that. And I was just looking at trying to come up with excuses to go back and kill the vacation in the middle. I was horrible. I was horrible. I couldn't. I mean, to someone else that didn't have to experience boxing jump. But... While I was in Baxicham, that was the biggest vacation. I can look at this as I was, I was on, a, on a vacation for 18 years instead of once a while. I, I enjoyed every minute. I had a purpose. I wake up. I, I, before I went to sleep, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't wait for the morning to wake up for 18 years. I remember that um, one of uh, our employees, her name is Zari, and she was very observant. She, she, wor- she was employee number seven for Baxicham all the way to the end. Uh, and she told me one day, uh, Mondays, you need to see Joe. Joe is something else. Mondays, he comes so excited. Okay, guys, we're starting on. <laughs> you don't think about this until someone else is more aware. Of it. And they, t- they tell you that. And I started thinking about this. Like Monday, I could just couldn't wait to be there. It would be the earliest. Oh, it, it was exciting. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a process. It's a mental process. You're programmed in a certain way after a while. It is, you feel like your life actually materially changes after? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, I. No. Look, um, so I, I separated. My wife and I are still best friends. But the thing is, so I bought a, a place that perhaps I couldn't afford before. But uh, that's it. Like, I don't really care for cars. I don't care for shoes, sunglasses, watches. I don't, I don't like boats. I like my feet in the ground. Uh, I do care for experiences. So I, I like going to Puppy Steak. I like going to Komodo. I have, uh, I have friends, uh, people like you sitting down talking. I, I like to be intriguing intellectually. And for that, you don't need money. For that, you really don't need money. You need you need to just have the the friends around you. You need to be in the right place. And I'm think I think I'm very fortunate to be in Florida. It's uh it's the right place to be, and uh, you don't really have to um, make anything difficult. Just go right here. The endless beautiful places to go out, mm-hmm. bars, and and see small sources. The quality of life is through the roof here. It's through the roof, and and we went through a renaissance. People like you coming down to Florida. Yeah. You guys have transformed Florida prior to you guys coming down here. When I say you guys, I'm talking COVID, yeah. Yeah. COVID refugees that came down to to our to Florida. So many friends that came down here. Before that, many many times I had to travel somewhere to find the right intellects to talk to them. I had my CTO, my previous CTO is actually an all time friend. He used to used to have a dating company before in the past, and he was living in Toronto. And every time he would come down here, we would always talk about SEO. And we would go and say, like, let's go to South Beach. I said, okay, we would sit down in his room. And we started just talking, chit-chatting every time about SEO. And we would find ourselves not wanting to go to the club because I, I don't need that noise. I need to hear you, what you're saying, uh-huh. and bouncing ideas. I didn't have any of this in Florida. Now, through Clubhouse, I, I was really into Clubhouse during the COVID time. So many of my friends on Clubhouse that I made decided they're moving to Florida. And so many other people, their friends. And now I have a network of beautifully smart people coming down here, you're not going to get bored. Yeah. And yeah, so this is, this is basically my, my time. I'm a simple guy, but, uh, but that's, that's the thing. I, this is my, my best leisure time. What's okay. So what's your, what's your passion now? Cause I, I do know, cause I saw, I see you on, I see you on Instagram, the story of, of you going on like live and like talking about like different stocks and like getting in and out of the market and like everybody who follows you doesn't care about that. But like, <laughs> Yeah, most of my charmers were, most of the, <laughs> the followers are, are ex-charmers uh, or, or charmers, current charmers. And they're like, yeah, you're not telling me what's next month in the box. 
Why is he talking about money now? Now you can do whatever you want, right? I'm yeah. telling you, well, I, I'm telling you to to do your own thing, to to build your own thing. We're gonna probably do a podcast, something I don't know, but you can now do like what your passions are, and you can you can sort of yes. focus. So you you talk a lot about like stocks and like so what what businesses interest you? What what's exciting for you that you focus on? So you know, I, I gotta say this, okay? I want to call myself newbie until I die on this one because uh, I'm starting newbie till you die. Newbie, yeah, because I'm forty some years old getting into the <laughs> stock market. Um, but but the, the idea is that <laughs> it's funny. I could have put all the money in the stock market uh, like I did at the time, and then I pulled out and I started coming back in, or I could have had the money going into a real estate investment trust. And made a lot more money because anything that I did put over there was giving me already more than 50%. 50%? More than 50%. In a real estate trust? Yes. We have to talk after this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's just, damn, I should have put more. But I mean, how would I have known, right? I'm not even blaming myself for not buying Shiba Uno or buying a, a Bitcoin or something like that early enough. Real right? estate but trust, I don't ever, like, I look at real estate. There's obviously a huge investment opportunity, but I don't look at trust as the... Opportunity well, in real estate. If you don't want to manage, uh, if you don't want to, yeah, the, the headache and you get a little bit less and you basically put the money out. The reason I like the real estate, the, the current real estate uh, investment trusts, the, the new ones that are coming out, is the, the previous ones were, okay, we're going to buy multiple buildings, uh, whatever it is, here's the money you put it in, and then it's every like, quarter. It's like what Grant Cardone does. Yes, the, I don't. I'm not specializing in Grant Cardone's trust. I'm I'm going to a bigger one, more like a black uh, Blackstone or or uh, there's another one uh, name is Harry's or something. The the reason I went over there it's because it's a liquid trust, meaning you can pull your money. Uh, after, I think you have a, a year lockup and then you can pull it every month when you want to because there's a pool of cash ready for anyone that wants to pull out and there's always buyers and and sellers coming in. The um, the idea is that. It's almost—it's pretty much as liquid as putting the money in the bank, almost. But the returns actually put it more like a, a monthly CD, right? That you get nothing for it. Well, now you get a little bit more because of interest rate up. But, but if but, you didn't want to take it out, could you not just loan against that trust? Uh, perhaps you can, but but um, but I mean, right now, I mean, you—you—I I think you can actually. You if can, you're getting fifty percent. But on if that. you if you're looking at previous rates, maybe it's better. Right. Because look, think about it. What do you do with the trust? Why am I getting a trust? You have two components for the trust. One is the the stock that sits in the trust, and then you have the dividend. So those particular trusts, I think, every month uh, they distribute dividend from the rent, and uh, so let's just say that's going to give you about four percent a year, right? Something like that. Sometimes three point something, sometimes four point something. Depends. Sometimes you use that cash to buy more or something, more properties or something like that. And then you have the appreciation. So the, the money that you get every month is not going to get you rich, but at least if you put a dollar into it, you get, say, four cents back every year, and you can live off of that, or you can use it for regular expenses, but it's completely deductible because it's real estate. The, the other part is actually uh, you're going to expose yourself to capital gain if you sell out, but it's there, just like you sell any other building. It's there at least. So it's comfortable. It's just a phone call and you get your money in and that's it. And a year later, you know, you can take it out and you can do it also on many other options. Now, the risk is obviously that the market can turn. But I mean, do you want to tell me that it's it's as risky or more risky than the stock market? No, it's not. So it's a safe investment. And I mean, I'll be happy with 12% a year. I think this year was a crazy year for real estate. That's why it went up so much. Yeah. But even if you give me 12%, 
Are you serious? It's not bad. What the hell? Twelve percent without doing nothing? You know what you can yeah. So that's the the the, the, the thing is that you're not doing anything for that twelve percent. Because if you do go into real estate and you you sell a building, if you don't have to pay capital gains on that if you reinvest it in more real estate. I, of course. So of course. But but the thing is do you I mean, and I'm not saying I'm not getting into real estate as well. This is you put some into everything, right? You put some so what's your what's your what's your mix? Like what's your portfolio mix? I don't want to break it down too much. I mean, I have a little bit in private companies, and I have been uh, your private companies. You real? Uh, we don't need percentages. Private companies, real estate, um, yeah, like traditional stocks. Bit, yeah. Do you do crypto? A little bit, yeah. A little bit, okay. Not like a, a significant amount though. No. Okay. Um, what are the companies that you that you actually look at? I mentioned one called Zim Z I M. Um, the reason I I'm gonna bring it up, and I'm not telling you buy anything with that, with the stock. No, just like, something for you to look at. The uh, the PE ratio is below two percent, below two. Sorry, not really two. two. Yeah. So it's um it's rare. So when I saw it, I said that doesn't make sense. And then they they distribute crazy dividends. Now it's all about the stock price. It's actually really down right now. I'm I'm negative on my stock, but I actually got this long longer term for the next two years because it's it's a cargo ship company. It's in Israel. It's been there. Since I remember it way before I was born, not going anywhere. They're just new in the stock market, and supply chain right now. I mean, they're the ones that are making all the money, the ships, right? And you can't really build ships that quickly to offset that. How many years it takes to build a boat? Enough for a right? tanker, so, yeah. So you get two good years, right? And um, I'm buying it. It's a small company. It's only eight billion dollar market cap, and um, I think uh, right now they're lowest in the last six months. But the point for me was they're distributing high dividend. Crazy, crazy high. So you put a dollar, you get every year, like I think $15, $16 back. Uh, and they, they do it every quarter, but then I think next... That's, a, that's significant. Very, yeah, it's very high. So how, do they, said, how is that sustainable? Like, like you're, you're, I don't know. you're a business leader. Like you, you built businesses. So do you go and you look at the strategy and They the actually books? distribute... They have distributed more dividend. Um, I think March they gave um, $17. For each one that holds a share, and that's so, a quarter. That sounds was, like they're propping up their stock price, though. The what? They're propping up the stock price by incentivizing. The stock price them. dropped right after that, hmm. because people, people who sold the stock right before are still eligible for the dividend. So they said, "Okay, I'm going to sell the stock because it's high. I'm going to get out." And then, and the, the stock dropped. It was eighty-five, and now it's fifty-five or something like that. Uh, and I, I got it a little bit higher than what it is now. But the point for me, it's a. It's, uh, it's a dividend play for the next 24 months. So I don't care about the movements in the last 30, 40 days. Uh, I care more about the, the next uh, two years. I know that uh, supply chain is not going to be resolved in the next two years, especially now China locked down the, the people against it. It's, just, it's not a bad thing. I, look, being in that space where we had to pay $4,000 to ship a container from China to California, four grand, now it's 16 grand or so, mm-hmm. like that, right? So they're, they're turning, it's like a casino, they're, they're making money like a casino. So and that's why I believe it would be a, a smart move to put it out there and then not to worry about the fluctuation. Like I said, it's a small company. Yeah. So expect that to be much more volatile. But ultimately, they're too profitable not to put some, some money in. Yeah, I've always thought that, like, when I, like, I, like, go on forums and stuff like that, and, like, like I look at, look at the people that are, like, you know, that make, like, millions of dollars in, in investment, and I'm just, like, a minor investor, like, like, insignificant. But I always look at, like, opportunities that are outside, like, North America. 
Mm-hmm. So I also think that's really interesting that you went into Israel. Like I've looked into Asia companies, like APAC companies as well. It's actually in America because it's traded over here. Um, oh, it's not even on a foreign stock exchange. No, it's here. Nasdaq, oh. yeah. Or Nasdaq or, or SM, I don't know, I don't know. But, but it's, it's, uh, it's here. But you know, the, um, talking about Latin America, the, the question when people ask me about launching a business over here and you ask yourself, what do you do in America now? Everything is... It's saturated. Everything you want to do, any consumer good product, probably The Rock already launched a company for that or Logan Paul and you have to compete with giants, right? It, everything is tougher. What do you do? And I get out of that pond, get out of America, do the same thing, but do it in Colombia, do it in Mexico, do it in yeah. China, do it elsewhere where you don't have those monsters to compete with. There's, right? there's a family. Have you ever heard of this family that they took Pinterest and they launched it in Germany? Three brothers. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, oh, interest, you're talking about... Um, um, I'm going to find their name. Uh, are you talking about uh, Rocket? Um, the Rocket, um, the one that launched uh, Glassy Box. I'm going to find... I can't remember. The two right? brothers, they, they also sold something similar to... Uh, not Pinterest. You're talking about um, the, 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 the two brothers. Two brothers? I think Maybe. it's two brothers that... No, the, I thought it was three. The, the Samware brothers. Yeah, German brothers, Oliver, Mark, and Alexander. Did they launch Glassy Box? I'm looking at what they launched. What did they launch? They the okay. What what the brothers are facing disapproval. People were not happy with them. They launched clones in clones. Yeah, that's yeah, what they do. Germany, China, Russia, Brazil. But I don't know what they launched clones of. Maybe it was glassy box. The yeah, they launched clones because they saw Birchbox and they said, "Oh, it's the same glassy box." And they went to like twenty different countries. Um, and but they're billionaires now. Yeah. 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 So you do it outside. You you do something. You see the proof of concept in America and you modify it to the local markets outside of the U.S. That's a smart. It's a smart business play, too. It's very simple. It just again, we're in a box, right? We're in the United States box. Get the hell out of your box. It's competitive over here. It's like it's like you have multiple lanes you can drive on the 95. Yeah. There's one that's all jammed and the other ones are free. Just get on the free. What lane. would you what would you start? What would you start if you're going to start another company? And I ask that knowing full well that at some point in your life, you're going to yeah. do something else. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm banned for a few years to touch anything beauty, nor I care to go into the beauty. I need, I need to modify myself. I can't tell you specifically what I'm going to get into, but ultimately, the, the category that I want to go into, I would like to see uh, a product in which I can go and... and Make a change, meaning there's modification for the current product. Uh, make sure that the product is going to be a little bit better. Perhaps it's going to be a service. It's not. It's going to be better enough to go and get people excited and talk about that. Do you like Blue Ocean? Which one? Blue Ocean, like category creation, like. Um, yeah. Well, obviously, uh, I, that that was my analogy with with lanes, right? Yeah. And jammed and uh, absolutely. I think if if you can get that, well, look, you can warm up your brand outside of the U.S. and then bring it over. Right. You can come in when you already have the company outside. It's funny when you see companies launching in the U.S., then going international, they struggle. Companies that go international, coming to the U.S., they don't have, they always struggle. They actually do well. Because the it, it's just something that I keep seeing again and again and again. I, if, if I had to crack the code and I had to pick uh, a country, I would go to China right away huge market um, and they are as advanced when it comes down to social media and shipments infrastructure delivery 
very, very easy to control that. Latin America, a bit challenging in certain countries. Some are easier than other, but I mean, if you go to Mexico, Mexico has some issue in terms of adoption to pay online. Uh, you go to Brazil, hard cash, you can't get the money out, you can't get products from that wasn't produced over there. The I said the labor laws over there are horrible. It's it's worse than 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 France. You hire someone, you can never fire them. It's a uh, it's very hard. So you don't get that in Asia. You go to one country, you go to say the Philippines, boom, a hundred million people, no problem. Everyone uses the internet because brick and mortar is in scarce over there. So I saw it on. I mean, people used to get boxy chum over there somehow. They used to ship it from from the U.S. all the way to the Philippines because they couldn't really get makeup unless it's online. Mm-hmm. And that's 100 million people. And most people don't even go there because they think, ah, it's, it's like 7,100 islands over there. Ah, go figure what to do. It's just hard. Right? So They have the infrastructure in Malaysia, place. Malaysia, yeah. it's 100 million here, 100 million there. <laughs> Let's go. And now for me to understand how, okay, Tagalog, I'll take some courses. I'll speak Tagalog tomorrow if I have to. <laughs> and then let me go in and adapt to that consumer, see how they think. Let me. It's enough people to go and pay attention to. It's not a small market. And it's open. You can do whatever you want. So look at the right markets and then go from there. That's, um, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not that hard. Selling online is, is really not that hard. You can go in through Singapore, start disp- dispatching products to Thailand, to the Philippines, to multiple countries through a warehouse hub over there. I mean, the only thing that, that I think like stops entrepreneurs is that the whole, like, all of that sounds great, but when you're starting something for the first time, it's like the thought of even doing it successfully in the U.S. for an American entrepreneur. But that's when you're doing for, if you do something first time, do a five million dollar business easily. Actually, over I want That's what I want to do. I mean, if you would billion dollar business, you you want to have different advantages when you come in. You want to don't, don't. So it depends at what stage you are, right? If you. What I wanted to do, um, so I want to, I want to, we'll do other shows, but I want to like finish this one off because we're hitting almost like we're gonna hit the two hour mark soon. Okay. So what I want to do is I want to like just draw some insight out of you for entrepreneurs like starting off, like early stage entrepreneurs, and like teachable moments. And we've gone through a lot, but I want to like summarize and like and like end the show with that. I think that will be very useful too. So a lot of the people, candidly, a lot of the people listening to the show are not at the level that you're at. So a lot of the people are not trying to figure out how to build a billion dollar business, trying to figure out how to build a, a five or ten million dollar business. That's really the goal. I don't think they want to just build themselves a job and make a million dollars a year. Yeah. They want to build something that you know, ten million, good, yeah. congratulations. So if you were if you were mentoring a, a first time entrepreneur. What would be the things that you want to you want to drill into their head? The most important things. Oh man, it's kind of hard to see. There's uh, quite There's a few a, things. A but, billion uh, different potential opportunities, yeah. but somebody comes to you. I mean, I, I like to talk about marketing first. Uh, they, it's very hard to find good marketers to work for you, near impossible, because the good ones don't work for you. So you have to be the marketer. You have to learn marketing, because good online marketing is like back in the day, location, location, location. If, if I go and I get the right location to open a store, it doesn't really matter if it's clothing store, if it's, I don't know, selling empanadas. I'm in the right location. I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'll be okay. So learn how to market yourself. Then from there, then make, make, it's easier to go and start with that because that's a skill set. I can't go and tell you that anyone can make the right decisions when they're 
the right uh, leaders of the organizations. The, the, the whole uh, mindset of how to make the right decisions, it's probably hard to, to teach, harder to teach. It, may, it comes down a lot to the way you're wired. But assuming you have that in you, if you also get the skill set of marketing, now you're, you have an advantage. And I think it's also going to give you um, a lot more motivation to start a business. A lot more motivation because knowing how... Here it is. I'm giving you a store over here in the busiest street. Go figure out what to sell over there. It's going to work. You have a busy street. Same thing. Learn how to you blow yourself up. You just need the traffic. You need the traffic. You can zigzag after what product, change the product, figure out what the product is. So that would build also a motivation level for the for the member. That's, that, that was something that helped me. So I figure if you understand the marketing, you already have a big piece of that. I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. It's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. You need to ditch the busy work. You need to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. All the tools you need are in one spot. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent, fast and listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash clary just go to indeed.com slash clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash clary terms and conditions apply if you need to hire you need indeed this episode is brought to you by netsuite now as a business owner i always remember when my company hits a growth spurt it's great but then you realize that things start to break things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000, that's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year, that's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies. And one, because your business truly is one of a kind, NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place, from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot. NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions. And they turn complex financials into understandable actionable insights. Right now, you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. Go to netsuite.com slash to download the checklist and see how one complete system can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash Get more control in your business with NetSuite. Just a quick question. Have you ever had one of those oh no moments when you realize that you accidentally deleted a huge file or worse, 
your whole computer dies. I know I have. It's happened to me a lot, but don't sweat it. The sponsor of today's episode, Backblaze, they have your back. It is unlimited backups for all your Macs, your PCs, or even your whole company, and it's really affordable, under 100 bucks a year. If you're running a business, they take the stress out of protecting everyone's data. If you need more bells and whistles for compliance, so on and so forth, they have enterprise options too. Honestly, losing data sucks, but Backblaze makes getting it back easy. They have restored billions of files. They offer tons of restore options, including rapid recovery in an event of data loss or ransomware. And you can access your backed up data from everywhere and anywhere in the world using their web app, iOS, or Android apps. It's been recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, and tons more. And best, you can try it fully featured with no risk at backblaze.com slash story. They set up that link for all Success Story podcast listeners. That is a no-risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening our business leaders, entrepreneurs, you know that if you spend your time incorrectly, it can make or break your business, your personal, professional relationships. It can completely sidetrack you and stop you from reaching your goals. So I'm going to ask you, are you protecting your time? How much of your day is eaten up by tasks that could have been done by someone else? Wouldn't you rather spend your time on things that truly matter? The answer should be yes, because you have to, to move the needle on whatever it is you're trying to build. That's where Belay comes in. They are the nation's largest pool of exceptional US-based talent. Belay offers flexible staffing solutions to free you up. Need a virtual assistant to conquer those pesky administrative tasks or maybe an accounting professional to really keep your finances in order? Belay can help with all that and way more. Their personalized matching process saves you the headache of hiring by finding the perfect match for your needs in as little as a week. Focus on what matters the most with the help from Belay. Text SUCCESS That's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to learn more and get started. 